What do I have to plug? What do I have to plug? Um, if you haven't already done so, please feel free to check out makingthebrand.co. Uh, that is our website. Uh, we have uh, all the episodes up there. I'm, I'm very proud of the collection that we've started to put together. I sort of think of it like Pokemon and we got to catch them all and we've caught some of them and we still have some rare ones that we need to catch in the future. Uh, which is a good sign for things to come. And also, if you're on the market for some leather shoes or leather sneakers, men's and women's, uh, go check out mjemmy.com. Use coupon code BILLY25 for $25 off at checkout. You will not regret it. They make awesome stuff. Um, I'm a big fan of their stuff. So go Warriors. Uh, they won another championship, which is awesome. Also, interview start. Go. So we signed up, and the next morning, um, having fully intended to sign up for the half, I, I woke up with a you know, light headache and a, a race registration um, fee email uh, saying that we had signed up for the ultra marathon as the half was signed up. Welcome, everybody, to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I'm a venture capitalist at Draper Associates. But on this show, we're going to be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Tyler Noyes, founder and CEO of Kalahari Biltong. Tyler teaches us how an Ironman and an ultramarathon led to the start of his business. So today on the show, we have an awesome guest. Uh, I am really excited for this one. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the product. So uh, Tyler Noyes, uh, the founder and CEO of Kalahari Biltong. Tyler, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, I sincerely appreciate you having me. It's been a, a real a joy to listen to some of the uh, folks you've talked to thus far. And um, we're, I'm excited to be a part of that company. So to start out, what is Kalahari Biltong? Kalahari Biltong. Yeah, um, it's a bit of a mouthful, but biltong essentially is a South African style of making thinly sliced meat, and it's a you know a centuries-old tradition of making it this way. And Kalahari has its namesake from the region where you know you can find biltong as a you know a national snack and treasure, um, kind of down in the you know South African Namibian regions. Um, so the reason a lot of people say, well, okay, is it just a meat snack, or, or how is biltong? different uh, than a jerky. Biltong is made uh, via an air drying method. Most jerkies are made with high heat and smoke and sugar and things like that, where we take uh, a lot more care um, and it takes a little bit longer for our product where we hang it for a couple of weeks and let it naturally air dry and then thinly slice it. And that's why it's so tender and we have that you know wonderful, simple spice ingredient list. And how did you get into the dried meat business? Yeah, well, that's a great, great question in itself. So uh, essentially, like any good brand, um, we were off on an adventure. Um, one of my co-founders was actually my coach for a long time in triathlon. And somehow he convinced me that uh, you know, we had to go do an Ironman in South Africa. And um, he also convinced me that it was a great idea to do an ultra marathon about six days after that, also in South Africa. So while we were down there and... Um, 
you know, having a lot of fun and, and exploring his country and, and learning all the different kind of great cultural pieces. You know, we, I really enjoyed Biltong and it was everywhere. It's pervasive. It's in their homes. It's in their airports. It's, it's a part of their culture. And whether you're using it as a great kind of on the go snack or, um, you know, whether you have it with wine and cheese or in cooked in meals, I just fell in love with it. And so I told Brett, I said, look, I know you grew up with this. This has some special meaning to you, but we've, we've got to do this. We have to introduce this here to the U.S. I mean, this just blows any jerky that I've ever had out of the water. And um, I need to feed my own addiction. So let's get going. And when was this? So we were down there in the spring of 2015 and uh, came back and put a brand together, uh, you know, got an ingredient list, searched the meat and kind of got off to the races. And I think we had our first bag for sale at a farmer's market type demo in January, pretty much the first day of January um, of 2016. So about six months later. I can't believe I just said, when was this when you just said that you did uh, an Ironman and an ultra marathon within seven days of each other? What I would I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> what, how good was the sleep after that? Uh, you pass up pretty hard. Well, actually, that's, well, that's not entirely true. I'd say that the days in between were great sleep. But I mean, after after a great race, you know, you're pretty high on the excitement. You probably had caffeine coursing through you for most of the day. So um, generally speaking, it's a surprise that that night you generally don't go to bed right away. But um, in case anyone's wondering why. Um, we, you know, as a triathlete, I'm, I'm always kind of looking for a great new challenge. And so Ironman South Africa presented that. But Brett, as, you know, a, a proper South African, there are two big races down there. There's Comrades and then there's the Two Oceans. And one night we were out probably enjoying a, a few too many adult beverages. And he said, come on, man, you know, this means something to me. Please, please sign up for it. And there's a half marathon and there's the ultra marathon. And um, so we signed up. And the next morning, um, having fully intended to sign up for the half, I, I woke up with a, maybe a light headache and a, a race registration um, fee email uh, saying that we had signed up for the ultra marathon as the half was signed up, signed, or was totally full. So um, that became that adventure. For those that don't know, uh, can you explain what uh, the ultra, how far the ultra marathon is and what an Ironman is? Sure, absolutely. So uh, an Ironman... Is, the, is a distance of the sport of triathlon. It's the longest distance. It's a 2.4-mile swim followed by a 112-mile bike followed by a marathon. And everyone uh, has 17 hours to finish. It's one of the most incredible endurance you know, races you can kind of witness. It brings a lot of different sport disciplines together. But I think what I love most about it is that it doesn't matter necessarily how fit you are, how old you are, what gender you are. Um, it really kind of comes down to this mental toughness over the course of a very long day and everyone um again no matter how fit you are was going to have some ups and downs so it's unbelievable at the end of the race day to come to the finish line and see these people who've persevered for 16 hours i mean it's just truly remarkable um the other race would be the two oceans an ultra marathon is by definition anything that is you know, one mile or more more than a marathon most ultra marathons started around the, you know the 50k marker which is around 30 miles this one happened to be 56k so just a little further. Jesus, do you are you are you two the only ones who have who did those two things back to back? 
yeah, <laughs> out of the Biltong team, uh, yes, there was actually a third friend of us that joined us for that adventure. Um, but <laughs> you're looking back, I, I don't know if I would, I would still uh, sign up for that now, but um, it's, it was pretty special. A lot of things came um, in alignment, and I think I like to always say that, you know, people ask why. It's, well, I've got this, this inner fat kid who loves snacks at heart. <laughs> I've got to find an outlet uh, somewhere. So, um, but yeah, it's, a, it's an incredible sport, and it was an incredible journey. And what were you doing at that time? What were you doing before you, you pursued Kalahari? So I was actually uh, running and still run a uh, another business. It's a uh, small athletic food distributor. So I was in the food space, and that's kind of really what alerted me to how unique and how different Kalahari Biltong um, had the potential to be. And so I'd seen great branding. I'd seen great brands. I'd seen trends and nutritional profiles, and that's just kind of what struck me um, so quickly while I was down there. So I've been running that, and then prior to that, uh, like I'm more and more um, snack folks, I've been finding out I was working in the uh, finance space um, as a corporate strategist. So, yeah, yeah, I feel like both of those are pretty two pretty important tool sets for what you're doing now. It it uh, it truly gave me a lot of the framework that I'm able to use day in and day out now. So while that initial career path wasn't necessarily for me, I think it gave me a lot of tools that um, I'm very thankful for and kind of be able to get into this market a little bit easier uh, and maybe kind of erase some of that initial learning curve that I think everyone has to kind of go through. And how did you and Brett come up with the name? I mean, you're bringing it to to America. The, mm -hmm. the natural instinct would be like, how do we make this uh, as communicable as possible to the American audience? And you decided to go the opposite direction. Let's call it what it is. Um, it's spade a spade. That's a fair call, statement. Uh, call a spade a, a spade and uh, they'll figure it out. You know, it was a kind of a, a number of different pieces. So the Kalahari Desert is a huge desert down there and it touches, you know, three of the countries where Biltong is extremely prevalent and that where that kind of um, culture really embraces Biltong throughout all of their meals and snacks and adventures. And we were trying to find, I know that Biltong obviously is inherently a, a South African um, word, uh, but we were trying to find some way to kind of pay an homage, if you will, to that part of the world where we were basically exploring and, and just having the adventure of a lifetime. And as well as it spoke to the origin of um, Biltong. And I think that we kind of stumbled upon that one for a variety of different reasons, but it ultimately kind of was the right fit for us. And so we knew we were going to have some uphill battles against other simpler brands, uh, you know, epic, things like that, single syllables. Um, but uh, Kalahari was the right fit for us. And so we embraced it and everything that that word embodied. And um, Kalahari Biltong is, is a brand that we're very proud of. And how did you decide on the, the recipe early on? As I understand it, it's uh, pretty much meat, uh, vinegar, and pepper for the most part. Um, how did you, did you, were you taste testing? Were you trying to sort of optimize the, the perfect uh, flavor? How did you come up with the recipe? Well, I think to be fair, I mean, Biltong states where, you know, I might put an extra dash of something in there that makes it my secret sauce, if you will. But at some level, there are a core simple set of ingredients. So you've got the beef, obviously, uh, salt and vinegar, kind of mandatory. Those are the natural curing agents. 
And then from there, you can kind of go into a few different directions. We really were looking to stay on trend with the simple ingredients that we can make pictures of. It was so simple. That was kind of a, an odd goal that I'd um, always wanted. I'd seen a few other brands execute on that well. So we have uh, the salt, the vinegar, pepper, coriander, and some uh, chili, powder, chili powder. And that was a kind of a great core set for us that was able to you know, achieve a nice spicy flavor, a nice kind of uh, flavor to it without overpowering the beef itself. I think you see a lot of jerkies out there or a lot of folks who – use a ton of teriyaki or smoke and you can't even taste the beef anymore. And I didn't want to lose that almost pure flavor. And so we started with the original and then the spicy peri peri was our second flavor. We uh, amped up the chili powder and, um, and then garlic was our third flavor as well. So again, keeping it pretty simple, something that people should be able to flip over the back of our bag and not even have to read, be able to see pictures of our ingredients and know exactly uh, what they're consuming. Yeah, something that sticks out um, about Kalahari Biltong is the packaging. It just sort of jumps off the shelf wherever you see it. Um, and I think that it sounds like you had a lot of, you were very thoughtful about that early on. How, how have you decided to uh, sort of compete in the market? Are you, are you trying to compete against the jerkies? Are you trying to distinguish Biltong as its own category? Um, you know, how do you think about the competition and, and sort of the challenge of this oversaturated jerky market? All great questions, um, and and thank you for the, you know, the high praise. You know, our bag aesthetic is something that um, we're we've always been really excited about. I, I think, and to give a shameless plug to our designers at Nature Nurture Creative, um, we were very fortunate to find um, a collaborative team that we could kind of put together all of the pieces that made the story and the brand what they are now. I mean, if you look at the front of the bag, it's the topography. And if you look at that dotted line, maybe you've seen it on the side of the bag there, that's actually the ultra marathon race route. It's not a fact that many people know, but it's something that's near and dear to us. And we did do a lot of due diligence and said, okay, let's look at this, let's look at the sets. You know, Jerky, you're right. It's a very competitive set with brands coming up left, right, and central. So what are the color schemes? What are the call-outs? And I think doing our homework there really allowed us to achieve a uh, brand and a package that was able to stand out. Um, so as to where, you know, where we want to compete, look at the end of the day, Biltong really is the next evolution we believe in the meat snack category, right? So if you're a jerky lover and you want something that is healthier for you at the same time, I mean, more protein, zero sugar, less calories, simpler ingredients, it's a win across the board. Um, where we think it's interesting though, for a lot of people who give us feedback of saying, I don't like jerky. I'm not a fan. I, you know, and whether that's unfair because they just had some sort of gas station variety that's super dry and tough, or they just perhaps don't like the texture or, or nutritional profile of jerky, we've had a lot of people say, "Wow, we we love this. I love biltong. It's tender. It's different. It's cleaner. It's healthier for me." So there absolutely is a reality where we will be competing in the meat snack set. But we've also been able to engage in a number of alternate channels that uh, are not just marketing employees. So whether it's in breweries and wine and cheese shops, because it's how Bill Tong is enjoyed, that have allowed us to stand out or operate in a different sandbox, if you will, than your traditional jerky competitor. So it's definitely a, a multi-channel strategy. And, and back to the business itself, how have you funded the business till now? So we were entirely bootstrapped to start. Um, and 
then we actually fundraised with a venture capital firm called Excel Foods that last September in 2017. So, you know, it's it was tough initially, no doubt about it. I mean, there are definitely some moments where it's, you know, unbelievable excitement followed by sheer terror uh, that I think any good entrepreneur um, has experienced in those early days and trying to figure out how you're going to make this work, how does it scale? It was, it was self-financed for sure. Um, personal credit cards, family, friends, you know, you name it, we explored every avenue and, you know, we were continuing to see great success and growth, but, um, realized to take that next, you know, next big leap, we really needed, um, uh, capital to do so. And I think we were pretty, pretty measured in terms of who we were looking for. Uh, we didn't just want dollars we would and dumb money if you will we were looking for the right partner that would not only allow us you know to provide us with the funds if you will but um to provide us with that network that knowledge base that you know that you couldn't buy and we didn't have and was there any point uh early on you know while you were bootstrapping where you where the team sort of got together and said is this worth it uh, you know are there any massive challenges that you faced where it felt almost to the point of, of breaking? Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and there are probably more than I would probably care to recount at some level, you know, there are moments where something goes wrong, right? You know, you're, something doesn't arrive on time or you, you get some bad product or it's not spec or, you know, you name it. And you sit there and look around going, is this going to work? I mean, are we going to continue to pound the pavement here? When, when can we get enough momentum or traction to feel like, hey, this is not only are we onto something, and and but we we see a real future here. Um, there were definitely moments of that, and you know I'm, I'm happy to get into details of any of them if you like. But I think the message was that we kind of really strengthened the bond as a team. There's three of us: my myself, my co-founder Brett, who's the South African, and our co-founder Robin. Uh, and there were definitely some evenings where we kind of had to circle the wagons and say, hey guys we need an attitude change here. You know, we can't continue to be, to feel like we're beaten down. We, we've accomplished a lot and we should be very proud of that. And we had a lot of miles to go before our next sleep. But, um, if we stick out, if we stick through this, you know, almost like an endurance challenge, like a triathlon or an ultra marathon, there's going to be ups and downs. If we see this through, we know there's a real potential here. Is there, I mean, you, you, you're begging for the follow-up. Is there a specific, <laughs> is there a specific challenge that you remember where you were just sort of like sleepless nights, uh, and really at the brink? Um, yeah, there was probably one moment where I think, you know, when you're starting out, your, your brain is a bit of a cost center. Uh, and we were funding that, you know, through the other business at some level and through our own kind of personal finances. And we had reached a point where we were almost tapped out. I mean, we didn't have any more levers that we could secretly pull, if you will. We'd kind of gone the friends and family route a little bit. Um, and, but we're hesitant to tap that further until we kind of had solidified the business. And we were banking a little bit of a Hail Mary. And we had, I had gone to talk to some banks about lines of credit and loans and had got, turned down by several uh, local banks who um, I won't name names, but I've, I've gone and talked to since and said, hey, um, I want to thank you for saying no. It, uh, it toughened my skin up a little bit, but it came down to the wire. We, we were within maybe a week or two of being you know, short of cash to run operations. And 
not really knowing what that would look like post that plunge. And we continue to work on the relationship with this, this last kind of regional bank I was talking to. They were unbelievably helpful and they saw and believed in our team and what we had done thus far and knew we just kind of need to go with the next hump and took a chance. And we, I think, won them over, thankfully. And we continue to do business with them this day. And um, I see them quite often. And I'm just so thankful for that uh, moment. But there was probably a couple weeks there where we were trying to figure out a solution about, like, hey, how, how do we move this forward? This could be this could be done in 14 days. And that was tough. That was just mentally brutal. I think a lot of a, a big check mark for for investors um, is perseverance. Like, is this a leader who's who's not going to give up at the first sign of, of failure. Um, and they probably, I would imagine, your investors sort of looked and they're like, oh, uh, uh, ultra marathon, um, Iron Man. Yeah, I think we're good. I think we'll be okay. Uh, this seems like <laughs> someone we can, we can bank on to sort of push this as far as it can possibly go. Uh, that would be my guess. That would be my analysis. Yeah, you know, um, there was a great comment that we got when we were first meeting with uh, this particular inventor from Excel Foods, and they said, we invest in jockeys, not horses. Um, now, I'm not necessarily a horse guy, but I can understand the reference. And it was pretty powerful to know that someone believed in you. And I think it does take a certain skill set to endure through an entrepreneurial venture. And I think there is certainly a lot of crossover between that and endurance sports, Right? You've got to have the mental wherewithal to not let yourself to succumb to some lows, but you know, not to get too complacent on the highs either, but take those moments to enjoy the milestones. So um, yeah, I, I think we had set ourselves up pretty well. Robin was a collegiate rower, so he very much had the you know, uh, mental fortitude game um, well in hand as well. So I think all three of us kind of share that bond where, you know, we're all kind of, um, health and fitness, uh, nuts and enjoy that, um, that, that, that common channel. And early on when you're, when you were, you're, you know, figuring out, you know, your co-packing and your distribution and your branding, how are you thinking about pricing? How did you decide how to price the bag? Um, and how have you thought about pricing since? You know, that was probably one of the biggest, pieces to having run you know a distributor um, and still running that now that really saved us a ton of pain so we'd seen a number of brands along the way you know when we were you know operating as the distributor they hadn't thought out their commercial strategy and you could just see themselves getting stuck as a regional player and so one of the things we knew from the get-go was okay let's reverse engineer this we know that at some level the biltong is inherently more expensive to make than jerky, so we're going to be a premium item. Okay, we accept that. But how do we kind of look at this and say, all right, well, this is where the costs are now, but if we price it that way, it's going to be pretty hard to expand. We're willing to you know, maybe take a little bit of a hit on margin now to kind of jumpstart the business and get it to where it needs to be to ensure that the price is something that is not so far outside of our category. So a lot of independents usually price this around $7.99, and then depending on some of the bigger chains, kind of go beneath that to $6.99. So we felt that that was our sweet spot. Um, it wasn't so pricey that you know we would run into some trouble on a on a volume basis, or who, frankly speaking, would be able to afford it. I think what was one of the big pieces for us is we don't want to make this so expensive that everyone can enjoy it at some level, right? So that additionally also played a factor. Um, so yeah, we just basically reverse engineered it from there and said, okay, well, if an independent 
you know, needs to make XYZ margin and you got to leave room for a distributor and you'd make sure that you have enough margin on your own side to survive working with distributors. I think that's another piece. We've seen a lot of brands um, getting themselves into trouble by not having enough room from cost to distributor uh, pricing to allow for all of the required promotions, advertising, um, you know, chargebacks that kind of go down and that can really bleed you dry if you're not careful. Yeah, the sneaky piece that the customer probably doesn't think about right off the bat is once you open the bag, it's gone. This it's thing, gone. You're, bur- you're burning <laughs> through this stuff real fast. Yeah. Um, yeah. My wife uh, is headed to her uh, high school reunion um, and she, I, I sort of, and she said, oh, I need some protein, you know, for the plane or, and I had a bag and she hadn't tried it yet. And I said, okay, here, let's, let's just see if you like it. Maybe this will be um, helpful on the plane. It's like a great travel snack. Takes a bite. Oh, this is really good. Another bite, you know, <laughs> ends up with less than half left for her plane ride. But um, the stuff, I truly like, I have no horse in this race. I'm a huge fan of the product. It is truly delicious. Um, does it sell? Is it sold pretty much throughout the country? Uh, at this point, yeah, actually we are, we are across the country now and we have pockets obviously that we focus in on. So, uh, our, probably our two biggest regions, you can probably find us, um, the easiest would be New England and the California, I'd say at this point in time, whether that's the Bay area or SoCal, but, um, we've continued to grow. We've got pockets, great pockets in Chicago in Texas and in the Pacific Northwest now is kind of a growing region for us. So we really want to look at that and say, okay, you know, where is our target consumer? Um, you know, where are the people that are looking for that cleaner, healthier, simpler snack, um, and that are willing to kind of you know, execute on the price point and those kind of regions really kind of were perfect or in perfect alignment for our brand. And but how, obviously oh, Amazon, sorry. Well, I was just going to say that, you know, in today's day and age, it's not all about brick and mortar, you know, whether it's on your own website or Amazon, you know, that inherently makes you natural, a national from the get go. Yeah, and how do you think about that? How do you think about uh, sort of the split between uh, the older world, sort of classic uh, distribution channels, the uh, Sprouts and Whole Foods and, and Safeways and Kroger's of the world um, versus the direct-to-consumer e-commerce? It seems like you do you have sort of a healthy balance of both, but what's your thinking there? I, I totally agree. I think if you talk to any CPG or consumer package, good brand at this point in time, you know, the question is not, well, what's your, you know, Amazon strategy? It's not a strategy anymore. It's a channel. And I think that people are recognizing that as a brand. Like it's, it's a truly, it's a sales channel that you need to be absolutely aware of, have a game plan for, um, and direct to consumer as well. Those online channels are really powerful ways to balance out the heavy costs of doing business on the retail side. And so while we absolutely recognize that, you know, you need, you need to have a presence, you need to have those touch points, you need to have those stores that people can walk into, see, grab, uh, et cetera. But there is a lot of movement these days to people just wanting things delivered to their door in two days or less. So um, I think you do need to have that omni-channel strategy to succeed now, nowadays as a CPG brand. So we absolutely execute on, on both sides of the coin. Have you found that, back to the user education piece and the name, have you found that once you hit some level of critical mass that the name started to work in your favor or are you still sort of facing uphill battles of continuing to help people pronounce it like myself and, <laughs> you know, uh, helping people figure out what it is? Have you found that 
do you think of the name as sort of a continuing challenge or do you think of it as a, a sort of a benefit? I think it's a differentiator for us at some level. Look, there are a lot of great brands out there, a lot of great brand names out there that are you know simple. Um, but at some level, I think the Kalahari, it does separate you. I mean, it's not it's very hard to mix us up with another brand, that's for sure, which is nice. Biltong as an educational piece, though, continues to be an upwards battle, and it will continue to be until we absolutely reach you know, more of a market saturation here. It's a foreign word, and it requires a demo or a little bit of education, and that's why you know, we've been so committed from day one to demos, demos, and more demos. We know that once we can get people to try it, um, you know, like yourself, like your wife, that we'll, we'll have a customer for life, which is is so powerful to watch that reaction. And it's been across any age demographic, any region, gender, it's been unbelievable. We have had very few people, and most of them have been vegans who don't like Biltong. Um, and I can say that, you know, I'm not biased, but so we, but we've at this point in time, gosh, three of us co-founders, maybe a thousand demos, something like that. I mean, it's it's truly been a lot and and we know it's going to continue to be a part of our game plan here going forward and getting people to try and understand and explain what it is how it's different why it's better for you or different than your average jerky um, why it is kind of the next evolution in the meat snack category and what does your day-to-day look like now what are the things you're thinking about and doing <laughs> i mean there's, there's probably a, there's an inbox that continually grows that um i swear i i, I feel like someone's feeding it uh, <laughs> But um, no, other than that, I think that for my role is kind of taking a look at and saying, okay, where do we want to take the brand? And I mean that not just in a regional sense, you know, where do we want to go next? Uh, You know, who do we want to partner with? We certainly have those goals and those discussions, but where do we want to take the brand? I mean, who, we want to be that brand that's a staple pantry item, right? That's something that is that kind of great snack like you can take on the plane. But if we're deciding to make a pizza or an omelet and wanted to throw something on top, you could do that too. So I think we're really starting to try and figure out how we position ourselves in the market now and not as just this kind of quick snack and run, but something that really can be used just like in South Africa and in their culture um, throughout a lot of different mediums. Um, and I think that's pretty important to who we are and what we want to be. And how how big is the company today? How many people? Uh, you mentioned New England's one of your biggest markets. It's probably not a coincidence that you're based in New England. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, so New England is home for me, Boston, and then we are a team of five right now, and we've got um, some Nathan, who's uh, our uh, sales guy out in San Fran, lives in Oakland, and he uh, is also comes from like a CPG world, and he's been great, and he has really helped build that momentum out there. So. Robin and I were flying back and forth far too many times out to different parts of California, talking to stores, getting people excited. And we just saw people latch right onto it, who understood what it was, got it, wanted more of it, where could they find it. And we knew that that was going to be a really great market for us. And we wanted to continue to provide the resources and the awareness piece. Um, and so we kind of split the team that way. So um, we are, I guess, a bi-coastal team. But uh, it works for us. Um, but yeah, we're we're still a small, lean company, but we're growing quickly as pe- more and more people want to enjoy built on. And and what is some sort of last serious question? Then we'll get into some fun ones. What is the uh, what's some advice that you'd have for someone trying to get into the consumer space today? Gosh, that is just a seemingly simple but 
complicated question. I think, again, I speak from both the buying and the selling side, right? So when brands approach me from the district with the distributor hat on, you know, it's, it's tough to watch people with an idea that is wonderful, but they maybe haven't done their market due diligence and looked at the category, right? And said, Hey, just, so you know, I mean, you're, you're sitting real close to maybe three or four other brands here. Are you aware? Um, so I would say a couple pieces of advice. One, go ahead and take a look, take a really hard look at what's out there. Um, and who you'd be sitting next to, who you'd be competing against. And that's not to say you can't create another bar at this juncture and be successful, but I think just recognize what you're signing up for. Um, I think a lot of people don't, well, at least they underestimate the amount of inertia it's going to take to get a brand off the ground um, in a category, let alone one as cutthroat as the bar or snack space, right? So I think that would be one, too. I would probably say, you know, maybe sign up for an Ironman or a triathlon um, to help build some mental toughness. You're going to need it. You're going to need a lot of it. There are going to be some long nights. I always tell people when they say, hey, what's it like to be an entrepreneur? I said, you know, you're going to have some of the scariest days of your life and some of the most exciting. But, man, you will never feel more alive than you are when you're doing this. Um, so you have to enjoy it. You have to love your product, love the space. Love who you're working with, I think, is another one. Uh, make sure that you set up a team around you that you really enjoy spending time with, not just at the desk, but hopefully you have some common interests or activities you can kind of enjoy together because you're going to be spending more time with those people than anyone else in your life. So it'd be a mix of due diligence, um, preparing yourself in, in, in whatever measure you want to, surrounding yourself with the uh, right people and resources and support network, to ensure that, you know, when you do have a tough day, you've got someone there to help you out. Um, and then, yeah, I think that'll be it. I think I'm going to wrap up on those three. Okay, with that, we're going to go into a quick ad. Shoes here. Get your shoes here. We are out here slanging M. Jemmy shoes. I know you're on the market for some dope leather shoes. Uh, who isn't? I know you are interested in whether it's sneakers that you wear with jeans uh, whether it's uh, high heels, whether it's uh, some nice shoes to go with that suit. You need some awesome shoes. You want them to be comfortable. You want them to be well-made. You want them to be beautiful and stylish and cutting edge. mjemmy.com, people. We're talking mjemmy over here. And uh, I highly recommend these shoes. Uh, high quality Italian craftsmanship, um, great materials. Uh, you know, we've had them on the podcast. You can hear their entire story um, in the Cheryl Kaplan episode talking about M. Jemmy. Uh, if you do go buy something there, use the coupon code Billy25 at checkout and you will get $25 off, which can be, you know, a decent chunk of a pair of shoes. So, anyways, mjemmy.com, go there, buy stuff, and buy a lot of stuff. Why not? $25 off. Enjoy. And we're back from the ad. Magic. Um, okay, we're getting into the fun ones. Uh, <laughs> if you could choose anyone to represent Kalahari Biltong, who would it be and why? 30-second Super Bowl ad, one-minute Super Bowl ad. What, who, who are, who's representing your brand? I'm going to choose this, but it's going to be a very different answer than you might think. So for me, I love people that have extremely recognizable voices you know, those just kind of great voices that you know instantly who they are. 
So I would otherwise other love to have um, Sam Elliott uh, because I love that guy and his kind of gravelly voice and some of the great westerns he's done in the past. Or I would love to do Mike Rowe because not only does he have a recognizable voice, um, but he is probably one of the more articulate people I've had the pleasure of listening to. I know those might seem like odd choices. Um, I could have chosen probably a candidate or an athlete or something like that. But um, for me, having that memorable voice speaking about your brand, I think always, for at least for me, has carried a lot of weight in whether I've remembered a brand or not. It, Mike Rowe does Ford, right? He does. He does Ford. He does Dirty Jobs. Right. Uh, Deadliest Catch. He's a San Francisco yeah. guy. He is indeed. He is indeed. And he also has his own um, really fun short podcast. I think it's a, a podcast for the 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 curious mind with a short attention span, I think is his shtick. Oh, so literally everyone. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, what is on, you are an extreme guy, uh, it sounds like. It sounds like you've done some things that most people have not. What is on your bucket list? I've got a big one. Um, I think that's one of the toughest part about a startup is that you kind of have to put that bucket list on a hold for a little bit. Um, my interests are pretty varied. So whether it's, I eventually want to have my pilot and helicopter license. I know it sounds strange, but it's definitely on the to-do list. I've always had a fascination with aviation, um, in particular military aviation. So I definitely want to enjoy more flying. Um, race wise, there are a couple, um, I really want to get into my uh, stage races. I'd love to do a multi-day stage race um, in the Rockies or in a, and there's a great one in Switzerland, uh, UTMB, which you have to qualify for. Um, or I think one day I'd love to gear up for a 100-mile run. Um, and there are some particularly gnarly choices for those here in the States. What is a stage race? So a stage race would just be um, you know, three, five, seven days depending on the length, so where you'd kind of race each day, point to point. So from, you know, you get up, you run blank amount of miles. Um, it might be varied terrain. So if you're, you know, going from in the Rockies, you're kind of going over the Rockies. I think there's there's one called the Trans Rockies that is a three and a five day option. And you're, depending on how much altitude or elevation you're kind of gaining, the miles may be less or more that day. Um, otherwise, it can be something that's a multi-sport one, where it might be, you know, orienteering, kayaking, mountain biking, swimming, and running. Those sound pretty good too. And you said you have to qualify for these things? I would imagine it's sort of like, <laughs> oh, you know, two, Who wants pe- to show up? two insane people showed up. This is great. We can run the race. You, you know, you'd be surprised. Uh, there are apparently a, a few of us in this insane category that um, want to do these things. Uh, you know, it's a growing sport, believe it or not. I think as people kind of go beyond the marathon and looking for that next big challenge, I think there are a fair amount of people um, finding that the ultra running community, because it's very different. It's not the same as a road race. Road races, it's a very competitive mindset. Um, no one's stopping. No one's hanging out as much, at least during the race. Whereas a trail race or these longer distance ones, you know, you might roll into an aid station and find, you know, chips and sandwiches and soup and, and what have you. So there's a lot more camaraderie. It's a lot more relaxed, a lot more fun. Um, and I think that that definitely is kind of where I'd like to be heading next. Okay, and if you weren't slanging Biltong, what would you be doing? Man, I think I didn't think I was going to get stumped so quickly on this podcast, but you know, I I don't know. Um, I don't actually have a question answer for that. I think this this business has really been the culmination of a lot of years leaning into the entrepreneurial world and into this health and fitness space. Um, I've, I'm a huge 
a fanatic for health and fitness and nutrition and helping people um, via nutrition or, or fitness challenges, if you will, could have achieved their dreams and goals. So it would probably have been something in the fitness space, if not um, directly in some other CPG brand. There's sort of a new question forming that's a combination of these two questions. Okay, someone comes, your board uh, you know, advisor comes and says, Tyler, you have to take two weeks off. Um, you're not allowed to do any of your crazy runs and you're <laughs> not allowed to check your email. Where do you go? Uh, so I grew up visiting national parks, so I would probably choose to kind of escape that way. Um, it's one of the few places that I think you can truly be somewhere where you feel absolutely fulfilled um, and totally content. And I think there are not enough days in the year and not even enough years in a lifetime to visit and see some of the incredible national parks in this country and, and others. I mean there would be wonderful moments where I'd love to kind of just escape and go explore New Zealand and just see what that country has to offer from a, from an outdoors perspective. So I like to get outside. Um, maybe it's not running, but it could be hiking and camping and just taking a minute to reflect. Um, you know, we're enjoying great books. I'm a huge reader, so I'm constantly enjoying anything I can get my hands on. Do you have a favorite national park that you have been to? Here in the States, that would be a tough question as well. You know what? It would probably go off to Glacier and Banff, which are kind of two parks um, right in the, you know, the north uh, of the U.S. and kind of getting into Canada as well. I think those are just some of the most spectacular parks I've been to. And um, you know, not to say that there aren't some other great ones, the Grand Canyon, all the usual suspects here, but there's just something about that Glacier National Parkway um, that will just blow your mind. I don't know if you've ever been up that way before, but you've got – You'll understand where Gatorade got their glacial blue color from. I mean, imagine lakes being look or look like they've been filled with Gatorade. It's just it's it's unreal, um, and it's truly a pretty special place that you can kind of just reflect and explore, you know, and kind of get back to the basics, unplug from everything. There's no cell service there, which is great. You mentioned that you like reading. What is your book recommendation? Book recommendation for the day. Uh, well, right now, again, it's not going to be very interesting, perhaps. I'm not sure what your uh, your readers like, but I'm reading a book about Endure right now, which basically is um, understanding that it takes the, the limits of human performance. But um, I, I like data and trying to figure out new ways to uh, hack the body to achieve other kind of long-distance goals. Um, so you'll generally find me reading something like that. Um, and autobiographies or biographies about kind of inspirational athletes are always kind of a great category for me. Um, so whether that's the things like Iron War and watching Dave Scott and Scott Jurek duke it out um, to the two of the great Iron Man legends. Um, so generally speaking, in something in that category, or you know anything that you should be kind of looking at as a small business, um, you know, leader or founder. Those kind of great you know, business books that kind of take things apart and make you understand a little bit di- in a little bit differently. Um, and I mean that for, you know, leaders eat last or anything like that that can kind of help you look at things in a different light. So my categories are probably those three in a nutshell. And last question, do you have anything to plug? Where can people buy it? So, uh, well, look, the easiest at the end of the day is always on, you know, Amazon prime, but you know, we always appreciate, uh, people coming to our site on eatbuilthong.com. And the reason for that is, um, this is kind of a shameless plug for all of the team. We actually write a handwritten note 
with every single order that goes out. Uh, I didn't necessarily intend to journey down that path, but our customers became such uh, loyalists and fans of, of that practice that every order that goes out on ebuildcon.com comes with a handwritten note from one of us. And it's generally a lot more than just thanks for ordering. And we've actually started a dialogue with a lot of these folks um, over the years now. And it's been a lot of fun. So I'd say, you know what, your best bet's going to be online. You know, otherwise, you're going to find us at independent grocers, uh, breweries, cideries, wine and cheese shops, beer shops, um, and some really exciting news with some larger retailers, which I can't announce just yet, coming very, very soon. Are you sure you don't want to announce it yet? <laughs> you know, as they always say, it's never a done deal until the PO is in hand. Um, but um, yeah, not just yet, but soon we'll have some pretty exciting news and maybe I'll kind of follow up with a show note or something like that. Um, okay. <laughs> a big plug for us here in the natural world that we are very excited about. That's uh, incredibly exciting and I am not surprised. Again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I will continue to eat uh, pounds and pounds of, of, <laughs> of what you're putting out and um, c congratulations and good luck on all the continued success. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Listen, you have a great one, okay? All right. You too. Take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, thank you, Tyler, so much for coming on the show. Um, and everyone, have a wonderful week.